Hi, this is Steve. Probably the worst kept secret on the cinephiles is that John and I have strong opinions on a lot of topics outside of film. Whether it's history, literature, food, science, or politics, we generally have a lot to say. In fact, one of the things we like about doing this podcast is the opportunity to discuss the issues a particular film brings up. Whether it is parenting and Willy Wonka or the Black Stallion, journalism and broadcast news and All the President's Men, or history and Gladiator, Braveheart, or Lawrence of Arabia, we like digging into complicated and sometimes even controversial ideas. Well, that's part of why we had so much fun dissecting Monty Python's The Life of Brian, because there are few issues as complicated, controversial, or important as religion. Whether you are the most devout believer or an atheist like me, the teachings of the great religions continue to affect our lives in ways both subtle and profound. So, if you haven't seen Life of Brian, I highly recommend a trip to our website, cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream it along with every other film we've ever reviewed. Trust me, Brian is not only one of the funniest films ever made, but it's also one of the most thought-provoking, which is why John and I had so much fun talking about it on The Cinephiles. Look, you've got it all wrong. You don't need to follow me. You don't need to follow anybody. You've got to think for yourselves. You're all individuals. Yes, we're all individuals. You're all different. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we continue our exploration of Monty Python's The Life of Brian in honor of the great Terry Jones. When John and I left off, Brian had just been captured by the Romans and was being dragged down to the dungeons by a ridiculously made-up Terry Gilliam, only to find a prisoner, played by Michael Palin, chained to the wall. You lucky bastard. Who's that? You lucky, lucky bastard. What? From the little Janus pet, aren't we? What do you mean? You must have slipped him a few shekels, eh? Slipped him a few shekels? You saw him spit in my face? Oh, what wouldn't I give to be spat at in the face? Oh, sometimes I'm awake at night dreaming of being spat at in the face. This exchange is brilliantly funny, man. Manacles, just to spend a few hours in manacles, what I wouldn't give. What would they do to me? Oh, you'll probably get away with crucifixion. Crucifixion? Yeah, first offence. Get away with crucifixion? It's the best thing the Romans ever did for us. What? Oh, yeah. If we didn't have crucifixion, this country would be in a right bloody mess. And what, what's so funny about this character, my, Palin says that he needs his character to be grounded in some reality. And the reality is of this guy is that he is a right-wing guy who loves the Romans. Yeah. That's what he really... And he's and and this is sort of skewering the other side, the the side that just can't not toady to the oppressors, right? No matter how horrible everything <laughs> yeah. around him is, he still is like they're good. They're good people. We're so lucky to have him. And he's hanging. He's been hanging up there so long. He's essentially become the mold of the bit of okay. the wall, right? Because he's the same color as the mold in the wall. Well, Terry Gilliam's idea of the set is that there was a a leak in the sewer and that he was having sewage dripped on him for years. Wow. That was Terry Gilliam's thought. Horrific. And and Brian gets spit in the face again. So lucky. And then the Romans come and says, Pilate wants to see you. What for? To find out which way you want to be crucified, which means do you want to be crucified head up or head down? Which they did crucify people upside down. That's just amazing to me. Yeah. 
And the last thing that Michael Palin says as they go as as they leave is terrific race the Romans. <laughs> Pontius Pilate. Yeah, here we go. Also Michael Palin. This is another Franco Zeffirelli set altered by Gilliam. And this is what Gilliam's idea was, is that he said what he wanted to be is, well, the Romans came into an existing city of Jerusalem, so they would probably take existing architecture and adapt it into Roman things. And so what he decided was that this set was half Jewish, half Roman, and that that, that none of it matched and it was all split. And that's why there's a guy still building the mosaic in the center of the set. Terry Jones didn't shoot any of that. So Terry Gilliam is furious that Terry Jones, he did all this work into this set because with this whole concept, and Terry Jones didn't shoot any of it because it ruined the pace of the film. Yeah. It's like that, it wasn't a film about a set, it was a film about people and comedy. Um, and Cleese said, uh, which I like, he said, the problem with comedy is that it's very relentless in its demands for pace. It's as though there's a huge metronome on the side of the set. Click, 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 click. Lose a beat, and it suddenly stops working. And I think that's totally true. Yeah. And now I want to totally reverse something I said years ago. Okay. So when we did the Holy Grail podcast, and I had listened to the commentary of that, and Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam had an argument about a thing, mm-hmm. which is that they're in the editing room, and Terry Gilliam wants to cut a moment. And Terry Jones says, oh, I don't want to do it because John was so funny that day, and we worked so hard on this thing, and that location was so hard to get, and Terry Gilliam went... None of that matters. Only thing that matters is what's in on film and what works and what doesn't work. This doesn't work. We got to cut it. And I said at the time, and that is why Terry Gilliam is a director and Terry Jones is not. Oh, oh. you know. And I had to say this is the exact opposite point. Yeah, yeah. Because this moment of Terry Gilliam putting all this into the set and Terry Jones is going, no, the scene is about these people. It's not about set. That's why in this moment, Terry Jones is director and Terry Gilliam is not, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course they're both directors of course, and they both made fine films, but it does show just such a different perspective on what is important. And if you watch Terry Gilliam films, the sets and the art design is really important. And there are a lot of times that you are going to look at it for a while. And when the, when the movies work, it works great. Right. When the movies don't work, it doesn't. Which is so f- funny because maybe his greatest film, in my opinion, The Fisher King, has the least amount of sets. Yeah. Uh, and is all very natural city-looking yeah. stuff. Yes. Does Are there fantastical moments in totally. Robert Robin Williams's mind when he's yeah. seeing certain things? Yes. But overall, it's a very stripped-down set. Whereas you look at Monschausen, it's one of the most beautifully directed uh, sets you've ever seen on film, yet the film doesn't 100% work. Absolutely agree. <laughs> Okay, I don't know how we're going to talk about this joke. It is, it is, it is joke. Very the easily. Pontius Pilate joke is that he has trouble confusing R's and W's. Yes. What is your name, Jew? Brian. Brian, eh? No, no, Brian. Ah! <laughs> the little rascal has spirit. Has what, sir? Spirit? Yes, he did, sir. By the way, this is speech impediment is called roticism. Mm-hmm. And this is a kind of joke I don't think we do very much anymore because no. it is rake, making fun of a particular you know disability or problem that is done in a. But I will also say that this is done so well and taken to a level that is so funny. Yeah, I, that you know, 
It is what it is. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. would we make this joke now? No. Is this brilliantly done? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Because he cannot say Brian. He says Brian. Yeah. And the uh, centurion can't understand him and starts to giggle at him. And there's a lot of miscommunication and it's jokes on that. But then it keeps going. Yeah. Because then it comes up that he says, Brian says, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Roman. A woman? No, no. Roman. <laughs> Your father was a woman. Who was he? He was a centurion in the Jerusalem garrisons. Really? What was his name? Nautius Maximus. Cleese has the best, like, like burst oh. into laughter. Yeah. <laughs> and Pilate doesn't get it. Like, what's funny? He's like, oh, well, it's a joke name. Like, uh, of Sodus or Biggest Dicker, sir. I have a friend in Rome. Biggest, biggest Dickus. Here's, then, here's why the jokes work and why the speech impediment works. He is the most powerful person in the room. Yes. So therefore, although they are making fun, it is the most powerful person in the room. Yes. So to me, that's what I think makes it still palatable. I, I also think that there is a craftsmanship in the way this whole thing is done. Absolutely. That is so good. The way the laughter goes around, the way he starts to notice that people are laughing at him, the way he starts to go, are you going to laugh at me right now? Like when he walks up to that one guard. What about you? Do you find it visible when I say the name? Dickus. Dickus. He's going to break. Oh, Palin is totally breaking. His face loons to the left, and you can see it. Well, what he said is that this scene was so hard to do, because imagine doing a complicated scene with a lot of shots where everybody has to be on the verge of breaking all day. Yeah. It's hard to be the guard and stand there and genuinely be about to laugh. Right, right. That's hard to do. So what Palin did was he would have to do funny things right before action to try to get people laughing so that then they could try not to laugh during the scene. And he would vary his timing, and he would vary his mood get right in that guy's face (laughs) and then he would do it so much that then he would start to break and then there's the other one where he comes behind the two guys and again daring to laugh and what he did which i think is so brilliant is the way he got them to laugh was he just waited yeah so they never knew when he was gonna say the line (laughs) and he would stand behind them and kind of breathe on them but not say the line and then say sometimes he would say it fast sometimes he would say it slow right and it is so so funny of course in all of this uh brian is going can I go now? And he just slowly <laughs> sneaks away. It's a really, really funny scene. Yep. He has a wife, you know. You know what she's called? She's called Incontinentia. Incontinentia buttocks. <laughs> buttocks. That's it. Get out, all of you. Uh, so Brian runs away. We see some workman working on the top of a tower, drops his hammer, and that I don't quite know why it's there. Yeah. Um, and then he's running down the spiral staircase. Byron is running up the spiral staircase, gets to the top, falls off. Oh my god, he's falling. Captured by aliens. <laughs> Just totally random. And this is our second uh Terry Gilliam animation. Of course. It is so bizarre. We go off in an alien spaceship. Brian's there. There are crazy aliens in there. There's some kind of battle. There are yeah. asteroids. There's, I don't know. And then we crash land again. Is this a Scientology shot? Was it around <laughs> back in the 70s? I don't know. Um, is this Xenu? I don't well, know. Well, this is right after Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> All right. 
Apparently, George Lucas met Terry Gilliam much later and said he was really impressed with that. <laughs> I love that, that then the, the ship crashes. Yes. And there's just guy randomly goes, lucky bastard. What does that even mean? I don't know. Um, uh, it's very it's but but here's what's here's what's interesting about it i think mm. in terms of python going from craziness to craziness right, right. this is the only one where we yes, just go in a yes. completely random absurd, yeah, right. totally absurd direction right other than that we're actually following a story exactly. for the most part yeah um and he's back in town still i like that he gets dropped right back into the chase <laughs> so there is no reason for this at all you can remove it completely he's back in the chase right. and he run running through town and he runs into a row of prophets. And the prison shall be huge and black, and the eyes thereof red with the blood of living creatures. The first one being Terry Gilliam covered in mud, which I think looks <laughs> awesome and amazing. Doing his John the Baptist. <laughs> uh, John Cleese says he's an atrocious actor and should never act. <laughs> <laughs> It's only a model. <laughs> That's a good one, too. It is. Yeah, another guy talking about a nine-bladed sword, and then we go to Michael Palin, the most boring prophet in the world. I love this so much. <laughs> I think this is so funny. And there shall be a great confusion as to where things really are, and nobody will really know where lieth those little things with, with a sort of raffia work base that has an attachment. At this time, a friend shall lose his friend's hammer, and the young shall not know where lie the things possessed by their fathers that their fathers put there only just the night before, about 8 o'clock. <laughs> just, like, just random. Well, I mean, the, the thing they're talking about is, like, there are times when a whole bunch of people pop up who say, I know the way, yeah. and that some of the shit that they say sounds completely ridiculous, yeah. and yet a lot of people follow them. And I, you know, like this is, this is filmed in 1978. It's right after Jonestown, you know, like there's, this is the mm. era of like all sorts of crazy oh, yeah. cults, cults yeah. and things going on. And he, and again, all right, I'm going to offend people now. Okay. I don't know how I'm going to say, I can't say it, but it's like. Well, if you're going to offend it, you can't be wording it correctly. So if you're going to offend, go offend. Fair. Let's do it. Yeah. Is that if you examine the stories of. Uh, let's say Zeus and Hercules, sure, sure, sure. and you go, those sound ridiculous. Mm -hmm. If you then were to look at the stories of pick your favorite religion sure. and their mythology, whether it's Samson or Jonah and the whale, or whether it's di guys dying and coming back to life in whatever religion you want, you want to look at uh, Krishna, you want to, they all sound ridiculous. Mm. And yet people... None of them, they're, they're, you know, just on the story, not on the philosophy. Right. Not on... And, 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 Maybe one of them is absolutely 100% true. But just from hearing them from the outside, if you didn't know anything, it's like, look, there was this dude, and he had hair, and his hair gave him super strength. Yeah. But when you cut his hair, he didn't have the super strength anymore. You go like, well, that's like in a comic book. I mean, we don't, you know, that sounds just as ridiculous to me as Hercules. And, like, I'm not saying don't believe it. If your religion gives you a better way to look at life, that is awesome, and that's great. But just from the outside, all these stories sound weird. Yeah. You know? Well, because from the outside, yeah. That's because they're, yeah. Right. You know? But once you're in it, if you believe in it, then if you don't, it. then they make sense to you, right? Well, it's like anything else. And the thing is, if believing in them gives you solace, right. it helps you face the day, that's awesome. Right. I don't want to take that away from you. Of course not. But if you look at, you know, someone else's story and hear about, 
you know, 72 virgins or hear about, yeah. you know, you know, the golden the, underpants, the golden underpants. Yeah. yeah. Or hear about the, the, the hat that, uh, jo- Joseph Smith wore in order to decipher the tablets, right, right. you know, any of those things, they sound weird or yeah. the, or the, uh, whatever the alien overlords from Scientology. That's Zenu, like, yeah. yeah Zenu, like that. It's like some weird stuff. Yeah. It's all, all around. It all sounds weird. Yeah. And so to me, like Michael Palin talking about the lost hammer, that's just as possible <laughs> as anything else. So, but Brian runs through this crowd. He sees the Roman, and he wants to go buy a beard. Yeah. And we have a haggling scene. Oh, the haggling scene. All right, I'll give you 19 then. No, no, no. Come on, do it properly. What? Haggle properly. This isn't worth 19. You just said it was worth 20. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Come on, haggle. All right, I'll give you 10. That's more like it. 10? Are you trying to insult me? Me with a poor dying grandmother? 10? All right, I'll give you 11. Now you're getting it. 11? Did I hear you right? 11? This cost me 12? You want to ruin me? 17? No, 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 no. 17. 18? No, no. You've got a 14 now. Uh, I think we talked about this before. I hate haggling. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah, I can't can't handle it. I'm, I, I, I'm so much like... Please just tell me the price. Like, <laughs> I know we're supposed to go through I need a whole to ritual. leave. Please just give I me just, the price. Oh, tell me what to say, please. I mean, I was in the, the Arab markets when I was in Israel uh, and, ha- and had to do haggling. And it's yeah. like they were literally started, this is $300 or, or some huge amount of mm-hmm. shekels. And then you would go, I will give you $6 for it. <laughs> you know? And then you'll settle on like $38. Right. You know, but it, like it was just such a ridiculous. And that's what's happening here. And I love that he just wants to get the beard and the guy will not let him nope. eat. You're supposed to haggle. Yeah. Come on. He's even got a security guard to help him make sure people haggle. Yeah. You got to haggle correctly. <laughs> and then I love that he go- he's like, here, I'll throw in this gourd for free. Do- you know, it's like, oh, well, uh, you know, but he already gave him 20 shekels. It's like, and they charged 16. He's like, well, here, you can keep the four shekels for the gourd. Four shekels for this gourd? <laughs> it's at least worth 10. You were going to give it to me for free. Yeah, but that's what I'm telling you what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so this was written by Chapman and Cleese. Uh, and apparently, Cleese says they kind of lifted it from a uh, Peter Sellers Oh. On, the, on the goon goon show. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, they, if you're going to steal from anybody, steal from the best. One of their heroes. Yeah. And then he sees the Romans and he runs some more and we're back at our resistance headquarters. And I love that they're marking off all the dead people who died on, on the raid. And the way they say it is like they say Job, Joseph, Judges, and then Brian, which means they're listing books of the Bible because ah. Job, Joseph, and Judges. <laughs> That's funny. Because um, Judges is not a name of a person. Right. And Brian comes in. What's the book of Brian? <laughs> We're watching it. This is the book of Brian. This is the book of Brian. And as soon as they come in, they all hide. And Reg is like, no, you know, go away. And he says, no, it's Brian. And they're trying to get rid of him. And then we hear the real banging on the door. And yeah. here comes the Romans. And our old guy goes with his same lines to the door. And they're the Romans. It's John Cleese, of course, who's going to find John Cleese in the yeah, other right. room. Uh, and he asks about Brian. He's like, no, this is no Brian here. And he tells his guard to go in, and 9,000 guards uh, yeah. march in. And he says, you know the penalty laid down by Roman law for harboring a criminal? And the old guy goes, no. And he says, crucifixion. Could be worse. What you mean, could be worse? Well, it could be stabbed. Stabbed? Takes a second. Crucifixion lasts hours. It's a slow, horrible death. Well, at least it gets you out in the open air. <laughs> worse than crucifixion could be stabbed and they have a philosoph- philosophical discussion about what's worse than crucifixion it's brilliant and then all the guards come out yeah and say yeah we didn't find anything <laughs> that's a good bit i love the jab at the end between them both because he says big nose he goes watch it yeah or something like that yeah yeah 
And I love John Cleese calls this, you're weird. <laughs> and then the guards go in again. We forgot to search something. We're like, right. oh, now they're going to find it. And then they come out again. We found the spoon. The spoon. Um, and this whole time, Brian is on like a little porch outside the building that is clearly rickety. Yeah. And the third time they say they're going to come in, which the old man says, you haven't given us time to hide. <laughs> and then Brian falls down, knocking Michael Palin profit right. off into like a tub. And now he is suddenly on the... You know, the speaker's corner in Hyde Park, he's mm-hmm. in the spot, and everyone's there like prophesy. Right. And he does his best to remember what Jesus said. Don't uh, pass judgment on other people, or you might get judged yourself. What? I said, don't pass judgment on other people, or else you might get judged too. Oh, me? Yes. Oh, thank you very much. And while he's prophesying, a guy comes up and asks him for the gourd. It's a nice gourd. What? How much do you want for the good? I don't. You can have it. Have it? Yes. Consider the lilies. Don't you want a heckle? No. In the field. What's wrong with it? Nothing. Take it. He starts talking about lilies. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean, lilies? But he can't quite do the stories right, and they're kind of getting confused. Consider the lilies? Uh, well, the birds, then. What birds? Any birds. Why? Well, have they got jobs? Who? The birds. Have the birds got jobs? And then he brings up, like, there was man had two servants. What were their names? I don't know. And he gave them some talents. You don't know? Well, it doesn't matter. He doesn't know what they were called. Oh, they were called Simon and Adrian. Now. Oh, you said you didn't know. That's great. It's all great. Yeah. And then, of course, he's doing this because the guards are looking for him. And he's trying to hide. Then the guards start to go away. And this is the moment where it all turns. Yeah. Um, Is that... As they're going away, he says... To them only shall be given... And nothing. And then nothing. Right. She's thinking about guards. And they go, given what? And then he doesn't say anything. He starts to go and they go like, well, what's the secret? Tell us. Tell us. And the moment that he wouldn't tell them, he's become very interesting. Yes. Uh, and they chase him and they say, What is the secret? What is the secret of eternal life? You won't say it. Oh, of course not. I knew the secret of eternal life. I wouldn't say it. Leave me alone. Just tell me, please. No, tell us, master. Leave me here first. And they, they ask him about the gourd. This is his gourd. Ten. It is his gourd. We will carry it for you, master. Master? He's gone. He's been taken up. And now Brian's fully running away and the music is great and they're chasing him and the crowd is calling after him and he loses a sandal. I was thinking as I was watching this, it must have been so dangerous for Graham to run in those stone covered streets in dirt and sand wearing barely anything. Yeah. With those skinny legs, his I just was thinking because even the way he's running is like super, uh, like I don't know, it's uncomfortable as hell. And then loses the sandal, and we're in a low angle, yeah, looking up at the crowd. That's a nice they, shot, by the way. Great shot, yeah. And they walk up to it, and they go, "He has given us a sign. Oh. He has given us a shoe. A shoe is the sign. Let us follow his example. What? Let us like him." Hold up one shoe and let the other be upon our foot, for this is his sign that all who follow him shall do likewise. Yes. No, 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 the shoe is a sign that we must gather shoes together in abundance. Cast off the shoes, follow the gold. No, let us gather shoes together. Let me. I love this. It's just, it's such a 
authentically brilliant skewering of the whole idea of trying to find meaning in the most random of things and trying to find signs in the most random of things. Well, and, and again, if you look at religion, and I'm not I'm not trying to offend, yeah. but look at the other religions that you don't believe in and see how many foolish arguments they have, or maybe serious arguments yeah, about, yeah. is God three or one? Is it the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Right. Or all of these one? You know, can you buy your way out of heaven or can you not? Right. Should we confess or should we not? Should priests have wives or should they not? You know, and there are literally in all the things I just said, people have killed each other over them. Over them. They are huge, huge battles over interpretations and all of those ideas, you know, like the vow of poverty versus versus the, the church accruing great amounts of wealth. All of those things come from interpreting small things within the Bible, within the Gospels, and saying, that's what it is. And putting your meaning on it, and then making it mean something to you. And so if someone is going to counter it, they're countering who you are as a person. Right. And so therefore, they must be killed. Yeah. They are absolutely insulting you as a person. It's that kind of lunacy. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Sunni and Shia is based on whether or not it's the... The nephew of Muhammad right. versus the brother. Now I can't. I'm not going to say it right. It's it's who is the next prophet Family members to carry are involved on? Is what you're being yeah. Saying. It's who is the next prophet to carry on after Muhammad's right. death. And Shia believes it's this one, and Sunni believes it's that one. And these are you know another place where people kill each other. Yeah, literally kill each other. And so well, the shoe and the gourd, and should we you know wear one shoe or not one shoe? That might sound ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. but there are, you know, th- th- there's so much of religion is like this. Yeah. They all charge af- after Brian and there's one guy left alone, one prophet. And he says, stop, let us pray. Let us. And realizes nobody's with there. And he walks off. Do you know who that guy is? No. That is Spike Mulligan. Oh, no. That is the other guy from the goon show. One wow. of the heroes of Python. You want to know how he ended up on this? No. So he was not supposed to be in this movie. He was just touring North Africa looking at World War II battle sites because he had fought in World, North Africa wow. in World War II, and he couldn't find a hotel in Tunisia because the pythons had taken up all the rooms. <laughs> and they saw him as like, oh, come stay with us. Come be in our movie. Right. And they said, we're going to shoot this thing in the morning. We're going to shoot this shot. And it would only take a couple hours. It took longer. They they said they broke for lunch, and they said, well, we'll shoot your close-ups in the afternoon. In the afternoon, they couldn't find him. He just wandered off. He left. And they didn't see him again. <laughs> Fuck this. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I um, love it. <laughs> John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. 
Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So Brian is running away. He goes up this hill. Pat, the 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 people are still chasing after him. Yeah. Um. And he comes to this dude in a hole. Yeah. Terry Jones. Terry Jones. The big beard. And he's asking him questions. And the guy's like, mm, can't say anything. And he sees the people coming. Jumps down in the hole. Lands on Terry Jones's foot. Who says, Oh my fuck! Oh, oh damn, damn, damn! I'm sorry. Oh damn, damn it! Now, by the way, if he hadn't spoke of 18 years, there's no way he would be this eloquent or talk. Yeah, without totally had the same thought. Yeah. And he is so mad. He kept his vows for 18 years. And and of course, he's yelling at him. And Brian's going like, well, could you at least be quiet for five minutes? No, oh, I just want to know. I might as well enjoy myself. The times in the last 18 years, I wanted to shout and sing and scream my name out. Oh, I'm alive. Havanagila. Havanagila. And he starts doing Havanagila and jumping up and down. It's the shot of him jumping up out of the hole. It's brilliant. It's hilarious. And then up come the people, all these people, and they, you know, drop to their ground and say, speak to us. And he says, go away. How shall we go away, master? Just go away. Leave me alone. And this starts what we're going to see a lot in this movie of trying to get an answer out of Brian, but not actually listening to the answers he's giving. Right. Give us a sign. He has given us a sign. He has brought us to this place. I didn't bring you here. You just followed me. I love what comes next is John Cleese saying, we've all come up here and there is no food. And it's like, what the what? I, I didn't tell you to come up here. And he's like, you eat the juniper. But that's that kind of thing is part because like, we followed you here. Therefore, you must take care of us. What? Why? Well, and and here's the next miracle, because then they say, we're hungry. And he goes, well, here's the juniper berries. Right. And they go, oh, he made them appear. It's the loaves and the fishes. I mean, like, it's totally yeah. like you could see the Bible written about Brian. Mm-hmm. Like he said this thing and he he he, he helped this guy talk and he right. made juniper berries appear. That's why I do think it is a secretly subversive film about Jesus, but not on the nose about Jesus. So I think there are spots where they are hundred percent right. They're skewering the story, not the person, the story. I think they're not aiming at Jesus. No, no, no. But if you think about the stuff that they're saying, just as I have been saying, right? Like you could take that and go, huh? Yeah. If you choose to, it's more about the Bible and the people who wrote the Bible than yeah. it is about Jesus. What they're skewering. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, again, I don't think this is a fact. What I'm about to say, the Bible is contradictory. Of course. There are things it says that it then reverses itself later on. Yep. So you can't, so, so you, you can accept that and you can have your explanation of why Judas hangs himself in one version and Judas goes off into the, I forget where it is. Yeah. In another version. To die in that version. Yeah. Yeah, But like, those are not the same. Right. So you have to reconcile that and, and understand too, that in different translations, it says different stuff. So if you grew up with the King James Bible or you grew up Mm -hmm. with the Gideon Bible, it says different stuff. The Bible is Rashomon. Yeah. 
Oh, totally. It's telling the same story for Citizen Kane in the Bible. Because yeah. Jesus never wrote, doesn't no. write any of that. Well, nothing it's, gets written in for a hundred years right. after he was alive. It's no. other people who write it. And none of whom were alive or met Jesus. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But they but but the explanation is that they were in, they were divinely inspired to write what they wrote. That's what they you say. Know. Yeah. Well, you know, well, if you believe that, then that's what you believe. And that's you're what, awful funny, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> um and I love I love this too is that when they go up to go get the juniper berries then of course Terry Jones gets kind of mad. Yeah. And he jumps up and we see that he's completely naked. Yes. And he it's that beard and that yeah. whole look is so funny. Now a guy says, "You know, I've got a bald patch. Can you cure that?" <laughs> and a blind guy goes, "I'm cured. Oh. The master healed me and I'm cured." And he falls into the hole. And once again, they're not paying attention no. at all. They're just loving the fact that he said he's cured. Right. And again, this is this is Jesus curing right. the leper. This right. is Lazarus coming back from the dead. I haven't said a word for 18 years till he came along. A miracle! He is the Messiah! Hail Messiah! I'm not the Messiah! I say you are, Lord, and I should know I followed a few. <laughs> I'm not the Messiah, honestly. And someone else says... Only the true Messiah denies his divinity. What? What sort of chance does that give me? All right, I am the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Now, fuck off. Fuck off. And then it's just, the music stops, the sound stops, everything stops. And Um, then Cleese just quietly says, how shall we fuck off? (laughs) One of the things Cleese says, you know, it's a typical older guy thing to say, is he thinks people overuse swear words, is that... Is that the, it shouldn't be just that the, it's funny that you used a swear word. Yeah. It's like, there's no swear words up to this point in this movie. So when he all says, right. all right, fuck off, it is so surprising yeah. and so funny. Um, and now um, Terry Jones is pissed because those were his juniper berries. You stepped on my foot. You made me talk. And he attacks the Messiah. Right. And they get very upset and they call him a heretic and they attack him right. and they carry him away. And it is sort of a scary moment. Right. But it is also exactly what we've been talking about. Yeah. Heretics, you know, how many heretics have been killed in the history of the world right. for not believing in whatever particular thing those people wanted you to believe or in? Or questioning it. Or questioning yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, an interesting uh, uh, thing that Terry Jones said, he says that this movie is not blasphemous, but it is heretical. Mm. Because heretical, my understanding is that's going against the specific teachings of a specific church. Right, right. Whereas blasphemous means that you are disrespecting the religious icon. It's like not blasphemous, it is heretical. Yeah. It's an interesting story from John Cleese. He hated the ending of the scene. Mm. He, in the script, said, I don't like it. It's not right. I, you know, and I, maybe it was the tone of carrying off the old man or whatever it was. And he had a huge argument with Terry Jones, wow. which he describes as it wasn't mean. But it was intense, you yes. know, intense argument. And then finally he asked Terry Jones, instead of arguing about the words in the script, he said, tell me how you see the scene. Mm-hmm. And Terry Jones described the end of the scene filmically. And Cleese realized that they were talking about something completely different. <laughs> and that and that the scene as described visually, he went, oh, I think that will really work. Yeah. And and he said, what he said was that, it, it was a huge moment, like a profound moment for him in his life of understanding 
that frequently we're arguing about the words and we're not really understanding what the other person is saying. If we can really understand what the other person is saying, frequently there's not an argument there. Yeah. And I was, and what's interesting to me is that's a lot of what this movie's about. That's, what's, that's what's ironic. Yeah. He's playing these characters who are not, who are like willfully not listening to what the Messiah is actually trying to say to him. But here he is willfully not listening to what Terry Jones is trying to exactly. say to him until he finally sees it for himself. Yeah. So it's a funny when the skewers are, are unknowingly skewering themselves. Well, I mean, honestly, where does great comedy come from? Yeah. You know, how you know, great comedy, if you're just pointing out the ridiculous of someone else, right. that can be very funny. But if you understand that you are ridiculous and part of the I mean, because this I don't think the Pythons are saying humans are all messed up, but we're not really like right, them. Right, right. They're going, This is us. Yeah. We're messed up. Yeah. You know? Um <laughs> and there is Jude, Judith. Yes. And it's the next morning. <laughs> By the way, I had to check. We hear a cockadoodle do. That is Terry Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. I'm like, that Brilliant. sounds like Terry Jones. Brilliant. Um, and Brian wakes up. And Judith is next to him, and it's very romantic. Mm-hmm. They've obviously spent the night together. And he gets up. He's naked, which is unusual in this particular way yeah. at this particular time. And he goes to the window, and he <laughs> opens that window, and. I just re- I had to stop for a moment because yeah. I sh- I never asked you how you came to the film so I want to tell you oh, mine okay because because I saw this film in high school on mm-hmm. VHS this moment I almost fell on the floor it was so shocking <laughs> and so funny uh, Graham Chapman full frontal nudity in front of a huge crowd of his followers <laughs> just wiped me out. There's no moment in film that I had ever seen that was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you come to the film? Um, I think same. I think I just rented it on VHS because as soon as I discovered uh, Holy Grail, I had to see all the other movies. So pretty much that, I'm sure. One more thing about this moment. I heard, I listened to a bunch of commentary mm-hmm. tracks, watched a bunch of stuff. I heard three stories about this moment, none of which, or they're all contradictory. <laughs> so one story is that... Um, uh, they the way the the crowd they had for this scene was there were a lot of English tourists going through Tunisia that they asked to come be on the set mm-hmm. and so they brought them over to the set they were mostly English none of them knew they were about to see a naked Graham Chapman and he opened up the door and all of them were shocked that's wow. one story okay wow. another story Terry Jones said it was mostly Muslim women who were extras from Tunisia Tunisia and they. It wasn't appropriate for them to see naked Graham Chapman, so he took them all away, and they didn't see naked Graham Chapman, and he shot most of that just with only a few people. Wow. Eric Idle says the Muslim women all saw naked Graham Chapman and that they were completely shocked, and it was a very difficult moment on the set. Wow. So we have three stories. Now, it might be that some element of all of these are true. Um, but but clearly, you know, people remember things differently. Yeah. One other thing is that as they did this moment, someone I don't remember which Python came to Graham Chapman quietly and said, "It's very obvious right now, Graham, that you're not a Jew." <laughs> <laughs> and Graham Chapman said, "Props," <laughs> and they got a very small little rubber band. Oh my god! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no. And of course, immediately after he opens up that door, he closes it. Yeah. And who should walk in in the next moment but mom? Mom, yeah. He gets dressed. She enters. He says, hello, mother. She says, don't hello, mother me. What are those people doing out there? Um, what have you been up to, Brian? 
And she, I like that she describes it as a multitude. <laughs> they, they started following me yesterday. Well, they can stop following you right now. And she slaps him and says, what have you been telling them? And out comes naked Judith. Yeah. And she totally defends Brian to his mother. Yeah. Fiercely. Fiercely. Your son is a born leader. Those people out there are following him because they believe in him, Mrs. Cohen. They believe he can give them hope. Hope of a new life. A new world. A better and I love, by the way, Terry Jones's reaction to the strange yeah, naked woman just like staring at her. at her is hilarious. It's and, almost lecherous. No, it's like it goes from angry to lecherous <laughs> to like, uh, yeah, right. it just like starts arguing with her son again. <laughs> and then she goes outside. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Now go away. Oh, yeah. Zana's and they bless her. And she's like fixing it. She kind of likes it. She <laughs> yeah. digs it. And she tells them to shove off. And they say, as a unit, and this is what we're going to see, is they're like the chorus. They yeah. say, No! Did you hear what I said? Yes! All right. You could see him for one minute, but not one more second. And then they go, all with the same performance. And she pushes Brian out. Yeah. Please, please listen. I've got one or two things to say. I think this scene is so brilliant. This is the message of the movie. Totally. On point by the lead actor in the movie, lead character in the movie, telling you a legitimate philosophy or a way to exist. And seeing how they are agreeing with them and in their agreement they are disproving exactly exactly the point right which he says look you've got it all wrong you don't need to follow me you don't need to follow anybody you've got to think for yourself you're all individuals yes we're all individuals you're all different yes we are all different I'm not (laughs) <laughs> which in essence makes him different um yes of course <laughs> and they go you, he says you got to work it out for yourselves and they say we have to work it out for ourselves Just the mindless repetition of course and then they and he goes exactly they go no that's the point don't let anyone tell you what to do i mean it's what you do in church right you read that our father who art in heaven hallowed be that sure. you all just say it over and over again you do the chants the the sing the songs all of that all in unison um and they're telling you how to think and how to feel about the situation right and this is he's preaching this idea of individuality individuality you can do it on your own but people don't want to they're too afraid to do individuality which is why groupthink is a constant state of existence for the entire it'll be till the death of the human species i remember i was in temple mm. for yom kippur rosh hashanah high holy days or something you know one of those times and we're we you know you stand up and you sit down and you right. read this and there's you know say this back to them and i'm reading through things and and there are things that you are saying about you know basically jews are the chosen people and god loves the jews and he has yeah. you know put us above all others and put us first among nations and all these things and I remember having this moment as I, because I had said these, I was, maybe I was 14 or 15, mm. and I'd said these things every year. Of course. And I just had this moment where I went, I stopped talking. And I remember turning to like my mom or my sister and go, like, 
do you really believe that? Mm. And and what was so weird about that moment is, and this happened, and there's things in the Haggadah, which is the Passover service, which I've read, that are, are really weird. Yeah. And, uh, and gone like, wait, do you believe that? And they're like, just, you know, this is what we're saying. This is what we're doing. And I don't think... I don't want to speak for anyone else. I, mm. My sense is that there are many people that don't think about those things or even are aware of the things that they're saying yeah. or think about them in a different way. And that's the, that probably is the beginning of my atheism, mm-hmm. is Jews being the chosen people. Yeah. Is that in my whole philosophy, people are people. And you know that I'm born a Jew by an act of luck and that... No, that you are no less of an important person than me. We're yeah. people are people, and that you know whatever the accident of your birth is, you are. If there is a God, He must all love all of them equally, right? You know, and so the the hypocrisy for me of that moment led to me going, wait a minute, yeah, what is this all this about? And to have this speech where He's saying you got to think for yourselves, and they're all going, yeah, we got to think for ourselves, man, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, or people like we got to love God, the peacemaker with a sword in your hand. Right. Like the levels of hypocrisy of the, some of, of these beliefs mm-hmm. are just astounding to me. Yeah. Uh, he goes inside, he runs away, and now everybody is coming after him as a savior. We got John Cleese <laughs> kind of crowd controlling, you know, oh, you, are you going to use the mountain next week? You heal this guy and this guy. And and one of the guys standing right behind John Cleese in this scene is George Harrison. Oh, he's in the scene. Wow. And Brian gets away, and he's outside and upset, and there's Judith, and she mm-hmm. says, you're awesome. And he says, you weren't so bad yourself, because he's just in love with her. Yeah. He just wants the girl. Right. You're very attractive. It's our revolution. We can all do it together. I think, I think... We're all behind you, Brian. The revolution is in your hands. What? No, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> he's just like, ah, damn. So even the woman he loves. Yeah. And what's so funny is like, I still say, I don't think Brian is a genius or a savior or a prophet anyway. He said something really simple, just yeah. for yourselves. And even that, nobody, including the woman he loves, can understand. Yeah. Uh, and in the next moment, a hand comes down on his shoulder and he said, and there's John Cleese who says, you're nicked. Yeah, nicked. Yeah. And we go back to Pilate. God, do we have any crucifixions today? 139, sir. Special celebration, Passover, sir. <laughs> Which means, of course, I assume we're right around the time Jesus is going to get crucified. Yeah. Because it's right near Passover. Right. Um, I I do not think Jesus is on that mountain singing, uh, no. always look on the bright side of life. No, no. I think he's crucified in another group. Right. The crowd outside are getting a bit restless, sir. Permission to disperse them, please. Disperse them? Because I haven't addressed them yet. Uh, no, I know, sir, but may I address is one of the high points of the Passover, my friend Biggest Dickus has come all the way from Rome just to hear it. Hail Caesar! Hail Fever! And of course, Biggest Dickus, he has a lisp. Yeah. So we have the guy with the R's and the W's and also a guy with the lisp. Now, is this the first time Graham Chapman is someone else in the movie? It is. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. And now we're back to Reg, and they're doing going into right now uh item four attainment of world supremacy that's the next <laughs> item on their agenda uh, francis you've been doing some work on this yeah thank you rage well quite frankly siblings i think five years is optimistic unless we can smash the roman empire within the next 12 months 12 months yeah 12 months and let's face it as empires go this is the big one 
So we got to get up off our asses and stop just talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they talk about talking about it. I agree. It's action that counts, not words, and we need action now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We could sit around here all day talking, passing resolutions, making clever speeches. It's not a shift. One Roman soldier. So let's just stop gabbing on about it. It's completely pointless and it's getting us nowhere. Right. right. I agree. <laughs> John, it's time for us to stop talking and do something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, right now. I mean, yeah. this talking isn't getting us anywhere. Let's go well. I don't know if I agree with that, but yes, all right. Oh, what don't you agree about? You think this talking's working out? Yes. <laughs> People it, love the show. So. <laughs> say yes. Actually, that's a fair point. I think this talking is getting us I will say yes. Um, let's stop doing something and start talking about it, John. <laughs> it's so great. I, I, I'm sure you've been in this meeting oh, where the yeah. talking and the talking yeah. just goes on and on mm -hmm. and particularly the more parliamentary procedure you get i don't know if you've had those oh yeah i had to make a motion i will second do we have a second to a discussion like all this stuff's like we can we just like do the thing right. like let's, let's get to Slave doing stuff. to the structure uh john cleese said and it's again it's about sort of those 70s political organizations he says the only thing you can do when you have no power to give yourself a sense of agency is to talk yeah that is all you've got <laughs> and she's adamant you know like no we have to get up we have to go right now we have to actually do something she screams at them she gets frustrated she runs out and they kind of make a little joke yeah little ego trip from the feminists mm. and then loretta goes i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's great um nothing like that today no. um but by the way i want to say this real quick that scene is played where they're the idiots so it's mm. not bashing feminism it's saying this is what women have to endure and deal with 100% right and totally. so i think that moment is still important because of she's frustrated with the fact that these all these men are sitting around having this long discussion because they're all caught up and when in fact they need to act and they they're not going to act because they're all just caught up in congress just caught up and talking sure. about it talking about it. nothing ever gets done and she and they of course they're going to bash her because she wants to get something done um and they look like idiots she looks like the smart one well by the way so what's so great about it is like mm -hmm. yes that is 100 percent true yeah. and they are totally framed as idiots and judith is the one who sees much more clearly in this moment but judith said brian you should be the leader right, right. and what we're going to see from judith at the end she's still holding on to yeah. some ridiculously stupid beliefs too yeah is that and this is the great thing about this movie is that they're they're skewering everybody oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know this absolutely isn't, you know um and now we get to, again, Michael Palin, uh, going to the line of people going to crucifixion. Crucifixion? Yes. Good. Out of the door, line on the left, one cross each. <laughs> and he's so nice. He's so nice about it. He's so lovely. Um, and, and, and then we get to the, the ridiculous Eric Idle character, and they go, crucifixion? Uh, no, freedom. What? Uh, freedom for me. They said I hadn't done anything so I could go free and live on an island somewhere. Oh, Oh, that's jolly good. Well, off you go then. Nah, man, you're pulling your leg. It's crucifixion, really. Oh, I see. Yeah, very good, very good. And he's just about to let him go. He's going to let him go. Yeah. And he goes, no, just kidding. It's crucifixion. It's pulling your leg. Yeah. Pilot and biggest dickus address the crowd. So we've already said, look, this is what the joke is. The joke is this one guy, R's and W's, the other guy, S, and now he makes this speech and the crowd goes insane. Friendship. It is customary at this time 
to release a wanderer from our prison. And they say, Police Warrior! And everyone laughs and he goes, Oh, well, Wawis Waja. So we don't have a Roger. We have no Waja. <laughs> Look, they take this joke so far. They do. And it is really funny. Yes. Next is Roderick. Roderick, that's right. Centurion, <laughs> why do they titter so? Just some uh, Jewish jokes, sir. Yeah, which I thought was hilarious. But then then he actually figures it he actually figures he it out there making fun of him. I do love by the way when he asks what, what Roderick does is that is one person says he's a robber and a rapist, and someone else says, and a pickpocket. Yeah, and like, <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. You're not playing the game it's right. It's not that joke. Yeah, he totally does figure it out. And then and then they you know, because we can't find any prisoners to release, yeah. John Cleese says, No, we got a lot of prisoners and he lists a whole bunch of s names oh yes sir we got a samson sir samson samson the sadducee strangler sir uh silas the syrian assassin uh several seditious scribes from caesarea and then biggest dickus goes let me speak to them good idea because we have a samson the sadducee strangler silas the assyrian assassin this is all Tunisian extras, and you needed them to laugh. So right. Terry Jones's idea is let's get the top Tunisian comedian to do bits to get the crowd. We just need them to laugh. Wow. And he gets the top Tunisian comedian, nothing, death. Wow. And so Terry Jones goes to the translator, and he says, just tell them what I'm doing now. And he laughs hysterically, rolls on the ground, says a whole bunch of ridiculous stuff, and then that's what they're all just imitating stuff Terry Jones is doing. Because, of course, they don't have to respond to right. Pilot. They just have to do the on stuff. Cue. On yeah. cue. Yeah. We're back to uh, Brian, and he's kind of uh, at the crucifixion line. And there's a whole long scene with Ter- uh, Terry Gilliam and Eric Idle with Terry Gilliam asking oh, the crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably my least favorite mm. scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. It is a classic sort of bit of, I can't understand this person and the other person has a stutter and we have to wait forever for right. the line. It has a really good payoff later. It does. I think the payoff is really funny. Yeah. But I don't think, this scene just goes on a really long time. It does. Yeah. Unnecessarily yeah. so. It's time for crucifixion. Palin is leading the crucifixion story and he gives them their instructions mm-hmm. about picking up their crosses and encourages them. And then they grab their crosses and man, that music sounds right out of Ben-Hur. He does. Totally out of Ben-Hur. And, and Palin's oh my God. a guy who had been on the wall. We see him now through the window, upside down, chained to the wall. And he says... And then a very nice man comes up and says, here, let me shoulder, let me shoulder your burden, my friend. Which, of course, is a play on Simon Peter, who comes in of and course. helps Jesus. And thing, <laughs> so yeah. he helps this guy, and that guy just <laughs> runs away. No, wait, this is not my cross. Again, such good bits. And I love that he is in like the brightest the white. white and the yes. hair the brightest color he's like yeah you're such a good samaritan look what i ended up having to and and eric i don't yeah. gives him the business yeah uh, he had you matey that'll that'll show you a lesson <laughs> show you a lesson he, i love eric idol in this particular oh, yeah. sort of thing yeah he is so funny i will give you one more chance this time i want to hear no rubens no 
Wettinals? No! Rudolph the Wet-Nosed Wendells? No! Panther Traces? Or we shall release no one! And Judith comes in and says... Release Brian! Oh yeah, that's a good one! Yeah. And he's like, nope, that's it, that's it. And Cleese goes, no, we actually, we have a Brian. Yeah. And they go, okay, so we're going to run and try to release Brian. Um, we're marching off to the crucifixion. And then we're back with Reg, who says, Right, that's the motion to get on with it, passed with a one abstention. I now propose that we go without further ado. May I have a second, therefore? Just go. Yeah. And then they, it's like, okay, we go. Finally. And then there's kind of a good tension build as we're heading yeah. off to the crucifixion. And Reg and his guys are marching and... Uh, Cleese and the Centurions are marching and we get to the crucifixion they're putting people up and who do we see but our people from the beginning of the movie yeah. the big nose guy and the guy with the wife um, <laughs> all these people getting crucified and someone calls up uh, one of the guys a Jewish turd and he says I'm not Jewish I'm a Samaritan and then we get into an argument of hold on <laughs> the Samaritans and the Jews The Samar- that's the Samaritan section <laughs> over there this is the Jewish section you can't crucify him here and the Roman says okay hands up all those who don't want to be crucified here. And of course, their hands are tied to the crosses, so that's not going to work at all. No one gets moved. You're all going to die anyway. Yeah. And, and, and our good guy who had taken the cross, he's also getting cru- crucified. And, uh, and so, Is he Jewish? We don't want any more Samaritans around here. Um, Brian's still trying to get out of it. He gets put on the cross. By the way, there was a lot of debate whether or not they were nailing hands. Oh. And if you look, they actually have nails in their hands. Oh. And ropes. And they decided to just not show that. Wow, fair. But, and I actually think that's... Terry Gilliam, of course, wanted to show the nails in the hands. And I think this is the right choice. Yeah. I think that would have ruined some of the comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Idol's still there smiling, asking uh, Brian if he's got someone to rescue him. His brother <laughs> usually rescues him. <laughs> And we see Reg marching, and they finally arrive, and and Brian's like, Reg, thank God you're here. Uh, yes, well, I think I should point out first, Brian, in all fairness, that we are not, in fact, the rescue committee. However, I have been asked to read the following prepared statement on behalf of the movement. Are we the people's front of Judea, brackets, officials, in brackets, do hereby convey our sincere fraternal and sisterly greetings to you, Brian, on this, the occasion of your martyrdom. What? Your death will stand as a landmark in the continuing struggle to liberate the parent land from the hands of the Roman imperialist aggressors, excluding those concerned with drainage, medicine, roads, housing, education, viniculture, and any other Romans contributing to the welfare of Jews of both sexes and hermaphrodites. Signed, on behalf of the PFJ, etc. And I'd just like to add on a personal note my own admiration for what you're doing for us, Brian, and what must be, after all, for you, a very difficult time. <laughs> it's a terribly uh perfect statement politically really, perfect statement. it really is and, and, and yeah and then they walk away and i love that you see them have a little quick vote and decide to turn and sing for he's a go- jolly good fellow <laughs> and By the way, we, we i do want to throw in one great joke that happens here when they're putting the dude on the cross who is not supposed to be on the cross at all right when he says will you take me down if he shows up oh yeah we'll take you down <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, such a great um, little joke. <laughs> and then John Cleese comes. Yes. Where is Brian of Nazareth? We're going to take him down. And Eric Idle says, I'm Brian. And then we have the Spartacus. It's a full Spartacus. I'm Brian of Nazareth. I'm Brian. I'm Brian. I'm Brian. I'm Brian. I'm Brian and so's my wife. <laughs> 
And then Eric Idle's still like, no, I was just kidding. That, this is a weird, <laughs> this is a weird moment. Because when he's dragging dragged away, this is the first time that character actually looks serious. Yeah. He looks like he actually feels, feels bad, bad. Yeah. about what's happening because he's not Brian, but they're not listening to him. They're just gonna crucify everybody anyway. He's the one that gets away. It's fascinating to me, I thought. So so and then we hear trumpets and it is the arrival of the Judea People's Front that we've heard about. Oh yeah. A whole film. Yeah. And all the everyone's runs away. They're really scared and these guys come down in these outfits, which we'll discuss in a moment. <laughs> and they say We are the Judean People's Front! Crack Suicide Squad! And Brian's like, yes! They're going to rescue all of us. This is awesome. And they see Suicide Squad attack. They all pull their swords in unison. And in unison, they all drive them into their own belly, committing suicide. And and then last word, the thing they say is, That showed them, huh? That showed them. Which I think I think is a shot at the Buddhism stuff that was going on, right? The Buddhists that were setting themselves on fire and whatever for protest. I think it's that, but I also think mm. it's I think it's John and Yoko in the bed in. I think it's oh, all the every ridiculous protest <laughs> where you said I'm going to do this thing that'll show them to get attention while people for are it. marching along with their tanks. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? How many protests you've seen where they come up with some big spectacle? Yeah, but it doesn't change anything. Yeah. It doesn't change the levels of power. Good point. Okay. So here's about these. This oh yeah, the this was almost cut. So there is a whole. The old, there were very few. There were scenes cut for the movie. There's only one thing that was cut for the movie for being offensive, and that was that we met these guys earlier. Oh, and that they were um, a group that was basically fascist, talking about purity of the race and getting rid of the impure, and they were Jews talking about getting rid of the impure Romans. Mm. And the symbol on the head of the helmet is designed by Terry Gilliam, and it is a Jewish star turned into a swastika. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And that, and that it's basically a poke, and this is from Terry Gilliam and some you know, of the intense fanatical Zionism and comparing that to Nazism. That was the joke that they took out. Wow! And they wanted to take them out of this whole of the whole movie, right? Right? right. But they couldn't because the dead bodies of these guys were in all the rest of the scenes, <laughs> and so they just finally decided, well, we'll keep this, but we'll never show a close up of that helmet, right? And we'll and we'll just do the suicide bit, which I think is hilarious, yeah, is. and not get into the politics. And Terry Gilliam, of course, is the one person who was pissed oh, that cool. he wanted that to stay in. Yeah. And then Judith shows up. Judith. And again, Brian's so happy she's here. And she says, Terrific, great. Reg has explained it all to me, and I think it's great what you're doing. Thank you, Brian. I'll, I'll never forget you. And she runs away. And as she runs away, who comes in the frame <laughs> but Mom? Yep. So there you are. I might have known it would end up like this. Just think of all the love and affection I've wasted on you. Well, if that's how you treat your poor old mother in the autumn years of her life, all I can say is, go ahead, be crucified. Total reverse of Mother Mary, right? You, Total. you, you did all this so that you could say, die for our sins, and you would blah, blah, blah. No, this one's like, you did all this just to, I knew this is how it was going to end up with you on the crucifix. And then, funny, we hear, cheer up, Brian. You know what they say? And we cut to Eric Idle back yeah. with the hair. I think that Eric Idle hair of this era yeah. is spectacular. Yeah. And we go into the song. 
which is great. Always look on the bright side of life. Uh, it, it's my favorite Python song. Why not? I, I. It's funny. I love this moment so much. It's my. I think it's my favorite moment in any Python movie, mm. really. And it really hit me this time because it's actually about so much. Yeah. The way this happened is they couldn't figure out how to end the movie. They're like, because they all knew, like, I think we're heading towards a crucifixion. Right. Right. How are we going to end our comedy at a crucifixion? Like, what? What are we going to do? Right. And Eric, I, it's all Eric Idle's idea, and he went, I think we need a song and he goes home he says he wrote this in 20 minutes holy shit and he says he describes this as a cheery puppy song a disney song with a whistle when you're chewing on last gristle that grumble give a whistle and this will help things turn out for the best hey always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, that'll be silly jumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life. It's so funny. Or life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Right. The joy of this song. The and the universality of the lyrics of this song, right? Who hasn't felt this way oh, at yeah. some point in their lives? And it's so bright. And it was such a genius move to put that song there because, right, you can't, you got to end it at a crucifixion. That's logically where it goes. So, how do you leave the audience still feeling somewhat happy or joyful that they sat through this comedy, even though Brian is going to die? Yeah. It's the song. It, well, and the song is all about we're all going to die. Yeah. Death is where we're headed. Yeah. That is the point. Like you, and there's even the thing at the end where he says, "You know, you come from nothing. You're going back to nothing. What have you lost? Nothing. nothing. Yeah, that's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Exactly. I mean, this song, even though it's, and what's so interesting to me is that one of the big controversies is this song. Mm. So this is the, you know, what is the most holy moment in in Christian right. theology? It is the moment of crucifixion. It's right. the moment of Jesus dying on the cross for everyone's sins. I mean, this is. As, and they are mocking it. That yeah. is the perception. And yet in my mind, the philosophy put forth in this song is very much aligned with so much religious philosophy. Yeah. You know, like it is such a, uh, and it is truly such a joyful moment. And and it's funny, like the Python philosophy can be interpreted as somewhat nihilist, you know, like yeah. nothing means nothing. But it's also like have fun and enjoy it. Right. Because all of this is so ridiculously stupid. <laughs> For life is quite absurd, and death's the final word. You must always face the curtain with a bow. Forget about your sin, give the audience a grin. Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow. I mean, that's deep. Yeah. Well, being jo- And, of course, as they're singing... Everyone joins in and starts dancing on these crosses. The shots are beautiful, yep. and the 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 uh, juxtaposition of the image of a whole bunch of people on a cross. Right, and this song is amazing. Well, it's also the subversive uh, yeah. uh, meaning within that moment is that the way they can break you is to make you afraid of what may ultimately happen to you. If you find a way to even smile when they're doing the worst to you, you win. They don't. 
And that is an interesting uh, thing that I took from that scene this time around. Once again, that's great. Yeah. What, what we do is look at things and analyze them and see if there's symbolism or meaning or whatever. It's our own point of view. That's what I took watching this time around. It's a little bit of a subversive thing about how to counter people who are oppressing you or stepping on you or trying to hurt you or keep you from something. No matter what they do to you, if you can find a way to smile, they don't beat you. If you can find a way, any kind of joy in it, they don't win. I, I think that's 100% right, and I think it's 100% in alignment with Python philosophy, mm. is that they want to poke fun at the ridiculousness of life, the ridiculous people, and the people that get angry, that just makes it funnier. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. That's what the, the fun is. And, 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 you know, what happens next is as this movie is about to come out, the controversy becomes huge. Right. It becomes a huge controversy. It's banned in all sorts of places, banned in Norway. And of course, they use that as the ad campaign. A movie so funny it was banned in Norway. <laughs> and what happened is people in Norway, they went to Sweden to go see the movie. <laughs> they didn't open it in the UK because there was so yep. much controversy. Yeah, I remember Because one of the things about the UK is there are actual blasphemy laws. Mm-hmm. There are not blasphemy laws in the United States because the UK has a state religion. Which is the Church of England. So to do things against the Church of England is blasphemy. You can get put in jail for blasphemy. Not in the U.S. So they opened in the U.S. The first group to protest it, Jews. The rabbis were first. Wow. Protestants second, Catholics third. At one point, there was a whole page in Variety with three columns. Jewish protests against it, Catholic, Protestant. Wow. Yeah. It was banned in many states. I'll let you take a guess on what states those might be. It's banned in Ireland. There was people saying that it was there were going to be riots. Gilliam thought that sounded like fun. Here, here's the thing that Cleese said. He said, um, so this is a movie that makes fun of people who don't think for themselves. And the people who are protesting it are ones who haven't seen the film. Hence the point. That is the point. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't released in the UK for another year. When it finally was, there were some counties that agreed to screen it and some counties that banned it. And so people arranged busing trips from their county to the one to go see it where it was. Uh, there was a very famous debate, which we'll post on the Facebook page mm-hmm. on BBC, where uh, two, uh, the Bishop of Southwark, who's uh, Mervyn Stockwood, and a guy named Malcolm Mug- Muggerbridge, I think is his name, or Muggerbridge, uh, who was a very famous the- uh, theologian, debated John Cleese and Michael Palin. Uh, about the movie. Wow. Apparently, they showed up late to the screening of the movie, so they missed the first two scenes that showed that, that Brian was parallel to Jesus. Right. And if you watch it, what's so crazy about it, first of all, John Cleese and Michael Palin are quite brilliant. Yeah. They studied for this. They were like really prepared, yeah. and they look calm and reasonable and citing scripture and, inf- you know, like really being uh, scholarly, right. and the other guys are just taking cheap shots, and they're angry and nasty. And Palin get got really, really pissed, and John Cleese had a ball. Yeah, you know, right? Um, uh, because John Cleese knew he was winning. Yeah, by making them act like that, John Cleese wins. That's exactly what he said. Right, that's what he said about it. And they were probably pissed that he was so prepared for it. Yeah. And also they play to their base by the shots. And we see that nowadays in yep. our political climate. People take these cheap jabs, these cheap shots, because they're playing to their base. Yeah. It was the fourth highest grossing film in the UK in 1979. It's the biggest British film in the US that <laughs> year. Um, but it's really, of course, home video and you know the, the following of Monty Python that really makes this an important film. Yeah. Um, Cleese thought that Brian was the best film Monty Python ever made. It was the best structure. 
and it was really about something and had a real narrative, which yeah. I totally agree with. I don't think it's the funniest film that Python has made, right? But I think it is the as a film as a whole, beginning to end, I think it's the best film. Here's an interesting thing: is that ten years later, fifteen years later, John Cle there's a huge controversy over the Passion of the Christ. Oh yeah, John Cleese. Uh, sees the people lining up for the passion of the christ who are going to see that film are calm well-dressed and the people protesting them are screaming and yelling like crazy people yeah and what he said even though these movies are completely different and their approach to this story in this era are totally different yeah. what he saw was the same thing which is that people who haven't seen the film who are furious mm -hmm. trying to censor a thing that they don't know anything about. Right. The other thing that I thought about in this, and of course, by the way, Python re-released Life of Brian right after Passion of the Christ mm. because they thought that was a good idea, which I think it was too. Right. Um, Wait, Passion of the Christ or Last Temptation of Christ? Passion. Mel Gibson. That one? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, people protested Last Temptation they did. of Christ They did. Well. Yeah. No. The, 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 mm. No, it was Passion of the Christ. So two completely different dynamics. Totally different dynamics. Because people who are uber religious love that movie. Of course. Wow. Well, and this is the thing, is that that's what I found interesting about the point, is that Cleese is against the protesters. Right. Even though he's an atheist. Right. He might not like that movie, but, he, but the people that haven't seen the movie right. that are protesting against it. He is, and I was too. Like I, like I, as a Jewish person, I had people coming to me saying, "Well, you, this movie's anti-Semitic, must be terrible." I'm like, I haven't seen it. Okay. I can't say anything. I went to see it. I don't think that movie's anti-Semitic at all. Mm -hmm. There are issues about that movie, you know, that right. I, uh, that I have, but it's not. It's not anti-Semitic. Yeah, you know, it's actually a beautifully made film. I agree. Yeah, I have I have issues with it. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is and this is one of the interesting things mm -hmm. is that that is a movie that religious people loved that really indulges in the torture of Jesus. Yes. This is a movie that has people sing a song about looking on the bright side of life about at the crucifixion. Yeah. And to me, and, and this is, so here's the thing that Terry Jones said. He said, any religion that makes a form of torture into an icon that they worship seems to be a pretty sick sort of religion, quite honestly. Mm. Now, the to, to me, the message of always look on a bright side of life is... I think Jesus would be cool with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the... Well, he said, love thy neighbor as I love thyself. Yeah. And he even says in the Bible, it says multiple times, you've seen it in stories, when he is dying on the crucifix, he is asking for forgiveness right. for the people who are crucifying him. Yeah. They know not what they do. It's the same thing. So he'd totally be in line with the song. And and what is the message of Jesus if not a message of love and hope? Mm -hmm. You know, and so so do you lift up the torture and really focus on that? Mm -hmm. Or do you focus on joy, which is what's in that song? Well, I think both things are valid to focus on because one is about appreciating the sacrifice that might have actually happened. Because that's the thing that I enjoyed about Passion of the Christ. It didn't shirk the story it showed you for the first time ever in any interpretation of this story on screen the actual violence and the level of violence that jesus might have endured at the hands of these roman people of the of his roman captors and so that makes his sacrifice all the more incredible to have endured what he endured and still asked for forgiveness for these people and by the same token this parody or this uh, uh, this uh, send up of the story works as well because of the framework of how the film is constructed it's about still about forgiving them or finding a way to beat them by not letting them beat you and make you right. feel sad right. so that's the thing on both stories told differently still 
end in the same meaning, in my opinion. Well, and the uh, you know, the idea of life's a piece of shit when yeah. you look at it, right. but look on the bright side. I mean, like how how you know, you hear phrases like the veil of tears, and you yeah, hear yeah. phrases like, you know, the struggle and suffering of life, and that life is suffering, and that through the suffering of life they find God and all these things right. that are very Christian in terms of ideas. They're in always look on the bright side of life. Yes. I mean, I'll say really quickly my feeling about Passion of the Christ, okay. which is I agree with every single thing you said. I think that's exactly what it is. I think it is very successful of showing you the suffering of Jesus in that moment. And this is where I walked out of that movie. This is the thought that occurred to me is I went, if you could go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you rather be remembered for the things you said or for how you died? Mm. I would think he would say the things he said. I'm sure. And the things he said are not in Passion of the Christ. Right. The because yeah, it's the stations of the cross. It's the stations of the cross. So, it's right. watching the torture. Right. And like and while it's powerfully done. And again, I'm not religious. Right, like right. this and to, and to me that movie is about convincing you to believe in the pain of this person, right. but not and this is my problem with it, not teaching you how to live your life in a better way. Well, that's fair. But you know? it, because it it banks on you bringing your interpretation of Jesus to the game before the game even starts. Oh, sorry, before the film even starts. So you they want you to bring your knowledge of Jesus to this moment. So when the film starts, they imagine you've already done your homework about how to feel about Jesus. Again? Which is good or bad. Right. Yeah, it's again, your, I your, totally agree right, with what right, you right. just said. Yeah. But this is the thing. is like it's, is, a, is, it's assuming <laughs> this right. first part. It's like, what do we have? Do we have a dearth of... People passionately believing in religious figures or a dearth of people that are compassionately loving thy neighbor. Yeah. And to me, it's the latter that we need more of, not the former. No, it's one of the reasons I don't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well as as much as everybody else, because it waits on you to do the homework about Charles Manson yeah. and his Manson followers before you see the movie. Yeah. Whereas on it. the other hand, I think Life of Brian is telling you yeah. all sorts of stuff about what it means to be a follower, sure. about what how religion is interpreted. Well, and let's get but into that. But they also don't tell you any of the positive messages of Jesus, only that one moment when he's outside no. saying to them, don't that's follow not, anybody. But, but that's not the, this, this, But this isn't a movie about Jesus. Right. Well, well and I think we've arrived at our final thoughts. And maybe I'll, I'll give mine first, please. which is that this is a movie like my favorite kinds of comedy, which is challenging to us and to our perception. And not only can we laugh at those other people that are fanatically following the shoe or the gourd or whatever, and not only can we laugh at the people that are with just using language and politics to lift themselves up and make they think they're doing something when they're not really doing something at all not only can we say that the battles between the judean people's front and the people's front of judea and all this stuff is totally ridiculous not only does it challenge us to think about the good and bad of rome in many different ways and how what our place is in that sort of world and in that sort of history but it also has to forces you to think a little bit about yourself you know, and think a little bit about, am I a person who is doing these things? Am I blindly following these things? Am I believing in things that are not true? Am I just talking a good game, but not actually doing anything? It forces you to think that stuff about yourself. And it does it in a really funny movie. And in the end, it has this song, which I actually think is a damn good philosophy is life is really, really, really hard. And if you can look at the bright side, you can get through it. And that looking for outside meaning you know, if that helps you, that's totally great. I'll say it again. If religion or whatever it is helps you to look on the bright side, to be a better person, to care more, to feel better, to be a better family member, community member, that's awesome. But if you, even without that, we can still look on the bright side and we can still a little, be a little better to each other yeah. and improve. That's my final thoughts.
All right. Well, I'll give you my final thoughts is basically I think this film was an absolutely brilliant uh, uh, exploration of religion uh, in a framework that is ridiculous and absurd at times, but still very real, very connectable, very universal. And one that if you have even a remote ability to be self-aware will make you think it will make you uh, question. But more important than anything, and what I think is, is essential to me is when he says you don't need, you can think for yourself, it still doesn't mean that even thinking for yourself, you can't consciously make the decision to be a part of religion. You can do that as well. Right. I think that's really important when he's saying that. He's saying, think for yourself. Yes, think for yourself. And if yourself thinks everything through and still goes, yes, I want to be part of this religion, then that is a valid choice. And absolutely, because you thought it out. And that's all this movie does. Inherently, at its core, it's about making you explore religion. And then deciding for yourself at the end what you actually want to believe. And if it is still that, then more power to you. But you've done the work to think it out, explore it, and come to a decision that's more informed. And that's basically all I feel the movie is trying to say to you. Explore this more. And of course, in a comedic way. But sure. there is things to explore here. There's a self-analysis to have here. There's things that you have to uh, uh, understand and uh, kind of go through. And then when you come out the other side... If you still believe, great. It may even make you believe even more fervently into what you explored. And that's why I think people, I think that's what's important about the film is it it is, it's not bad to explore the things you love or believe in or care about. It's good to do that because if you come out the other side still believing in those things, it makes your belief or love of it even stronger. And I think that's important too. That's great. And you know what you just made me think of? I just want to go Mm. back to the thing that Terry Gilliam said when he was a kid. Mm. If what kind of God can you believe in that can't take a joke? And I think, what kind of God can you believe in that can't take some exploration, that yes. can't take some thought, that can't take some other perspective? If the if, if God is God, he's, he can stand up to all of that stuff. Maybe the only good moment in Star Trek V is when Shatner says that to God. What right. kind of God... What does know, God need with a starship? Yeah, oh, what yeah. kind of God, yeah, right. And what yeah. kind of God can't take uh, a, 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 like a conversation right. or a comeback or a questioning? Right. Yeah. Um, so that is what we think of Life of Brian. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. You can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Cinephiles, where we have done a lot more shorts lately, yep. and we're going to keep on doing those. Uh, if you want to stream or buy The Life of Brian, visit cinephiles.net. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or YouTube, where we would love to see your reviews mm-hmm. and comments. You can follow the show on Twitter on Cine underscore files and on Instagram on the Cinephiles podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at SR Morris and on Instagram at SR Morris one. Yeah. You can find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And please, please go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, www.youtube.com uh, slash John Roca says a lot of content uh, I put up over the last few days as we're recording this. There'll be a lot more content coming this week as well. By the time you hear this, uh, you can go back and see some of the Oscar content that I've put up that is going up mm. all this week, uh, including some reviews of Oscar nominated films and interviews I had with some Oscar nominated people as well. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. <laughs>